Um, this summer, uh, you know, we have been in the Psalms and uh, we've been looking at a whole variety of emotions. And uh, many of us uh, tend to just have uh, two, maybe three emotions that we really major on. Uh, but the truth is, when you read through the Psalms, you see a wide palette of emotions that are laid forth. So part of what it means for us is that we uh, have all of the emotions about the things that we're supposed to have those emotions about. So if you look at Jesus, Jesus isn't just this uh, kind of stone-cold figure throughout the Gospels, that he does have emotional reactions uh, to things that he should have emotional reactions about. So as we become like him, we begin to react in the ways he does to the things like he encountered. All right? So today, we're going to look at anger. And I've got an observation to make. I think there are really two major ways that we deal with anger. Either you're the kind of person who hates being angry. You do everything in your power to ignore your anger. Everybody else knows you're angry except you. You squash it down. You call it other things like annoyed, frustrated. But let me tell you, those are just infantile forms of being angry. Or you're another kind of person. You're angry all the time. And for the most part, you think it's completely valid because it comes from a place of wanting to correct what has gone wrong. One's not better than the other, but let me ask you, which one are you? Well, regardless of which one you are, the Bible's going to correct you. First, if you hate being angry and you think for the most part anger is a bad thing, then you need to know that the Bible's got a very different take. I mean, take the imprecatory psalms. One of the imprecatory psalms we're going to look at today, Psalm 5. And when you look at these psalms, you'll see them as model prayers for those who are angry. And they're angry in ways that are in line with righteousness. And let me just read you a sample of lines from these kinds of psalms, okay? You're going to be shocked that you can pray this way. I'm telling you. Psalm 59, verse 11 says this. In your might, make them... Psalms and enemies, wonder about and bring them down. Psalm 69, 28. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. Psalm 109, starting in verse 9, ending in verse 12, says this. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor cease all he has. May the stranger plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him and take pity on his fatherless children. You ever prayed anything like that? I know it sounds cruel. But then look at Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. In other words, not all forms of anger are sinful. And then you've got Jesus. I mean, Jesus gets so mad in John 2 that he makes a cord of whips to drive out the money changer from the temple who are exploiting worshipers. I mean, just look at our stained glass in here. It's beautiful, isn't it? Can you imagine that one of the pictures in the stained glass is of Jesus with a cord of whips in the temple? It's hard to believe, isn't it? John 2, 17. Then you've got Jesus in Mark 3. He heals a man who has a withered hand, and he does so on the Sabbath. 
The Pharisees see this healing take place and they consider Jesus's ministry to be work. And so when he does this healing, does this work on the Sabbath, then he's breaking the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees want to destroy Jesus for doing so. And here's what the text says is going on within Jesus. It says this. It says, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their, the Pharisees' hardness of heart. Mark chapter 10. You've got a bunch of parents that are trying to bring their children to Jesus. But Jesus' disciples are keeping the children from Jesus. I mean, it would be like we've got people at the doors and you're trying to bring your kids in. And they say, no, this is just for adults. Jesus only cares about the big people around here, not the little people. And here's what, it, here's what it says of Jesus. It says that Jesus was indignant at the disciples for doing so. He was ticked. And then you've got Jesus using severe language to assault his opponents from time to time. He calls Herod in Luke 8.32, that fox. He calls people who are unreceptive to his message, pigs. Matthew chapter 7. In other places, he calls people who are unreceptive to his message faithless, perverse, wicked, and adulterous. He calls religious leaders hypocrites, blind guides, white tombs, ravenous wolves, snakes, children of the devil. I mean, I've never called anybody children of the devil. Jesus did. So clearly, being angry isn't all bad. I mean, we really ought to be angry at injustice. See, what we need to see is that God has designed and blessed anger in order to energize our passion to destroy sin. In fact, if you think about it, anger and love really go together, don't they? See, the opposite of love is not hate or anger, it's apathy. Because you cannot watch the object of your love experience a perceived wrong and remain indifferent and unmoved. I know that some of you, you don't think you're an angry person. But anger done righteously has positive outcomes. It can be constructive. It can make the world a better place. But anger can also wreak untold havoc. I mean, think about the scriptures, Cain and Abel. Cain got so angry at his brother Abel that he killed him. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 are a warning against anger. It says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Jesus taught on anger, Matthew 5. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So you just have Jesus quoting one of the Ten Commandments here. And then he gives it his interpretation and he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. See, anger's dangerous. And here's why. Destructive anger aims at some real injustice most of the time. Something really is wrong, and you see it, and you want it to change. You are right. But because you're right, Here's the danger. You become blind to your own sin. This means that you must be exceedingly careful not to rush straight from evaluating something as wrong to then unsheathing your sword to execute judgment. 
Instead, when your anger does have a healthy seed, you've got to evaluate if the response to your anger is urging in a healthy direction or not. You've got to probe your heart and not just the hearts of your opponents. So how, how do we learn to be angry in healthy ways? Well, I think Psalm 5 can help us. It is one of the imprecatory psalms. And imprecatory psalms, they give us a way forward on how to become angry instead of apathetic. They give us a way forward because they help us see how our own anger can be petty and vindictive instead of productive and godly. So let's read Psalm 5 together. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So I want us to look at three characteristics of healthy anger that we see here in this psalm. And the first one is that we pray our anger. We pray our anger. Look at those first few verses there. Notice the progression of speech. In verse 1, the psalmist is said to be groaning. And then in verse 2, it changes to that the psalmist cries. Then the psalmist prays. And then in verse 3, he uses his voice. There's a progression. Have you ever thought about what constitutes prayer? I think most of the time we think prayer is something that's verbal. It's something where words are used, particularly formal, religious, theological, heavy words. That kind of language. That's what we think constitutes as prayer. But what these verses show us is that prayer can be comprised of groans. Prayer can be these inarticulate sounds. And that's good news. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't have any words to pray. And thankfully, more than words can be considered prayer. I mean, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, when you're groaning because you're under assault, because you've been hurt and now you're angry, you will groan. And you won't know what, wor you, what words to use, but the Holy Spirit is saying, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Let me take those groans and make them into words for you. 
to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? But it gets better. Not only can groans be prayers, but so can cries. Our honest, raw, emotional outbursts can be classified as prayer too. So when one's hurt, and they're working towards healthy anger, then you can rest assured that there's going to be a lot of groaning going on. You can be assured there's going to be a lot of crying going on. And when we do that groaning and we do that crying while we're in communion with God, we can bank on the fact that he's going to help us. He's going to help us frame why are we really angry? And how can we go about being constructive with our anger? But here's what we do instead of bring our anger before God in prayer. We usually, instead of using our vertical relationship, we go horizontal, don't we? Instead of groaning and crying before God, we groan and cry before those around us. We vent. And it feels really good when your friends and family empathize with you and make you think that your anger is actually justified, when it might not be. Or we get horizontal and we lash out against our offender. We don't go vertical. But here's what Psalm 4.4 says. It says, in your anger do not sin. You know, this is what Paul's quoting from in Ephesians 4.26. But then it says, when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. See, when we keep ourselves from sinning by searching our hearts before God, we can know something really important. <laughs> we can know that we're actually angry. I know it feels like I'm right, you're wrong, but when you slow down and you search your heart, you'll see most of the time that you bear some responsibility in the conflict with someone else in this situation. You'll see that you've got sin to repent of too. And when you hate your sin more than the sin of your brother or sister who's hurt you, who you're mad at, then you can move toward them with healthy anger because your hope is not vengeance. Your hope is reconciliation. Your hope is that they forgive you for your sin, what you've contributed. The hope is that they forgive you the hope is that you can forgive them. And voila, you have reconciliation. But that means you're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to use words like it seems to me. My concern is that perhaps, instead of words that come quickly like you always, or I can't believe you would. So the next time you get angry, stop, pray. I don't mean just stop and pray once. I don't mean just like a breath prayer. I mean, go for a walk. Go for a walk every single day for months. Be okay if your groans and your cries last a really long time. And give them time to turn into words. Words that you can articulate why you're angry and what you're angry about. When you slow down, you can see and look at your own responsibility. To turn your anger into prayer. The second thing is in verses 4 to 6. In verses 4 to 6, you'll see what David does. He's mad at evil. 
and he's not taking things too personal. Did you, did you see that? He doesn't get historical and say, hey, God, let me tell you what happened. Bruce said this, this, and this. Then he did this, this, and this. Strike him down with thunderbolts. That's not the angry prayer he prays. It's very different. Rather, he gets mad at something bigger than just his enemy. He gets mad at evil. You see it in verse 4? For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. And then starting in verse 5, he does call out a whole variety of persons, the boastful, the evildoers, those who speak evil, bloodthirsty people, and then deceitful folks. But regardless of the type of evil, he locates them in terms of their relationship with God. David is first and foremost concerned to view them as persons who must deal with the holy God as opposed to persons who he, as the victim, needs to seek action against. Let me say that again. David is first and foremost concerned to view them as persons who must deal with the holy God as opposed to persons who he, as the victim, needs to seek action against. See, if you're anything like me, you usually take your pain and make it too personal. You'll see that the major players in any conflict, when you zoom out, you'll see that there's a cosmic battle taking place. Evil's real. Holy God is real. And when you see that as the main drama, then your little conflict becomes less personal. All right, so you see the two, two clues so far. Two ways that you know your anger can be healthy. One is to turn your anger into prayer. The second one is to be mad at evil and not take it too personal. The third one is you enter into worship, verse 7 and 8. Look at the beginning of verse 7. What does David believe as the basis for him being able to enter the house of God? Do you see it? The basis by which he can enter God's house is God's abundant steadfast love. He doesn't enter the house and say, I'm the victim. Look how bad I'm hurting. He doesn't enter the house and say, I'm sinless, blameless, innocent. In fact, David's the one who writes this psalm and he says this in Psalm 143, verse 2. He says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So even though David's anger, angry, healthy, in a healthy way, against his enemies, he still knows he's a sinner. I think that David had in the back of his mind this whole thing that happened with Bathsheba for the rest of his life. I think he knew that he broke commandment after commandment. I mean, think about it. The first commandment, have no other gods before me. He broke it. He allowed his lust to be the God to which he bowed his obedience. Think about the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. He broke it because he said he was God's man and they lived like a pagan. Take the sixth commandment. Do not murder. Well, he murdered by killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, so that he could marry Bathsheba. He broke the seventh commandment, not to commit adultery by his sinful act with Bathsheba. He broke the eighth commandment to not steal by taking a woman who was not his. He broke the ninth commandment to not lie when he acted like he didn't know what happened when he was told of Uriah's death. He broke the 10th commandment because he coveted wanting something that was another man's. Uriah's, his wife, Bathsheba. See, David knew that he was one of those evil people in verses 4 to 7. 
He's just like the persons who are hurting him in many ways. They just like himself, they, he, they need something beyond innocence to get into the Lord's house. They, just like he, need the abundant, steadfast love of the Lord. I, I think David was always perplexed at how he was able to experience the love of God instead of the wrath of God. And see, when you and I are in touch with our sin, we know the only way that we, that the, we know the only thing we deserve is judgment. We think it's inconceivable that we can be in God's presence because we know that God focuses his anger towards sin, not against our sin, but against himself. See, God promised in several places in the Old Testament that he would force the arrogant to drink down a cup of wrath, which was a metaphor to communicate his furious hatred of sin. And whoever would drink this cup of his wrath, they would die. And in the end, you know who drank that cup? Not you. Not me. Jesus took down that bitter cup. So here you have the perfect son of God, loved and adored by the father. He was also despised by his father. See, God the father turned against God the son and for a moment... God the Father splintered the unity of the Trinity. And because God did that, that means that you, that you never have to bear the weight of God's anger. It's already been poured out on Jesus. And see, here's what happens. When this truth changes your life, you'll be able to be as angry as you need to be, no more and no less. See, if you're someone who's perpetually angry, you'll be able to dial it back. You'll be able to see that you're a sinner. You'll be able to see that you're someone who, who Jesus drank judgment for. And when you see that, you'll be able to approach those who have hurt you with compassion. You'll be able to invite them into change instead of demanding retribution. You know that that conversation could wound, but... That's not your goal. Your goal is reconciliation. So do you see how costly it is to be this kind of angry? It, it, it means you've got to deal with your own sin. It means that you're, you're not going to be able to keep masking your anger with busyness and denying the anger that you have by taking all the blame on yourself. So where are you today? Do, do you need to deal with the fact that you have too much anger? Maybe for you, it's like, it's like anger is the only emotional response you have. It's like you go through life like you have one tool. And your one tool is anger. And you use it to try to solve every problem you have. You spend your whole day, you're, you're critical of your kids, your spouse, your boss, the church, the United States, the Republicans, the Democrats, your neighbor who won't cut his grass. But you spend very little time looking at the log in your own eye. And what happens is that roots of bitterness begin to grow in your soul. And they're very, very, very hard to pull. But you can start today. You can start the journey today and repent. But maybe that's not you at all. Maybe you're not the person 
who's angry at everything and the only tool you have is anger. Maybe you're the complete opposite. Maybe you're the one who tries to squash it. Maybe you're the one who says, I'm not an angry person. I'm just a little frustrated. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can't stand being angry. You may even think it's sinful to be angry. To you, everybody just needs to take a chill pill, relax. But to you, what I would say, I think what the scriptures would say, is that there is real injustice in the world. And that anger is what God has given us to use to respond to it. Maybe you need to broaden your emotional palate to include anger as being something useful for the kingdom of God. Regardless of who you are, may God be so gracious to us to allow us to be angry in healthy ways. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we need your help. We know, we see here uh, that David had real enemies. And he really did uh, pray against them. But he did so uh, knowing that he, he was a sinner. So Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, show us our sin, not to shame us, but so that we might grow in humility. That we might be able to move forward in our world with love and compassion for all. Oh Lord, we need your help. In Christ's name, amen.